we're good? Is it good? All right. All right. We're good. All right. Tim, can you hear me? Akio, can you hear me? All right. All right. So, yo, everyone at Mottown Brewing, my name is Joel Edwards. Um, I'm the founder of a company. Let me back up, Colgan. I'm a founder of a company called the Moonlighters Club. Y'all cool with that? Are we good? Baltimore, can I get some feedback? Can I get some eyes? Can y'all look at me and make sure I don't look crazy? Because right now, I feel real crazy right now. Don't make me start yelling in here. Can y'all see me? Can y'all say hey? Can y'all mind if I talk to y'all for like four minutes? Four minutes quick, promise you. Four minutes, and I promise you it's gonna be worth your time. My name is Joel Edwards. This is called the Moonlighters Club Podcast. The point of this thing that we are doing right now is that six people from Baltimore and one from Columbia, South Carolina, slash Richmond, Virginia, they're all entrepreneurs. They're starting businesses. They're gonna get on this stage and they're gonna tell you what it's like to run a business, but they're all employees or were employees at that time. So this whole thing is about trying to make money on the side of your job while you're struggling or not, maybe not struggling to make money. Y'all understand that? Y'all cool with that? Cool, does that make sense? A long time ago, I was starting a tech business. Uh, you were there. I was starting a tech business and I was pretty sure when I went back to school that shit was gonna blow up. I was gonna make a ton of money. I was gonna raise venture capital. I was never gonna have to work a nine to five in my entire life. And none of that ever happened the way I wanted it to. Waking up at six in the morning to get to work two hours early to work on this business idea that I had. Cause I just knew that someday I was gonna get a big check and I was never ever gonna have to work ever again. None of that ever came true. I've always had to work while doing my dreams on the side, which I'm doing right now. Actually, I'm not doing that right now. I was laid off earlier this year. We'll get to that early. We'll get into that later. But I've always had to self-fund whatever I want to do in my life. Me and my partner, Colgan, sitting right there. We're trying to start this and run this. We do videography, tell your friends. We do video projects. We do podcasting. We talk about entrepreneurship and employees and we have to leave here and go back to work or go out to looking for jobs literally as soon as this is over. But not tonight I'm gonna get drunk and we're gonna go crazy in Baltimore. I'm gonna be in Fells Point, I'm hitting up all the neighborhoods. But literally Monday we're going back to work. So that's why we do this. Hopefully that's why the people who are talking do this as well. A long time ago I met randomly my friend Akio here. I came in town because the Steelers were playing the Ravens and my wife, she was my girlfriend then bought me tickets to go watch the Steelers. But we won, and I, he was telling me about Baltimore and the city, and I was just randomly walking around downtown, and we kept in touch ever since then. We used to do showcases in Boston before I moved down to DC, and ever since then, I've always kept in touch with Akio, and I've met every single person here because of that gentleman right there. The purpose of this night is not about me. Um, when it's all said and done, if you want to connect with me, if you want to learn more about what we're doing, we're going to be doing more showcases, specifically in Baltimore. Like, I'm not, I want this city's energy in my life all the time. So if you want to connect with me, please do. When I'm done talking, which will be soon, uh, I hope that you listen to the people that come up after me to hear their stories, hear what they've gone through, so that you can connect with them personally, maybe it'll mean something to you, um, but it's just something to cheer for and to root for. I'm gonna give you a quick example of how this works. All right, this is what it's gonna sound like when people get up here. My name is Joel Edwards. 
you can say, hey, Joel. Oh, it's like you're fucking hating <laughs> me. Uh, uh, my name is Joel Edwards. From Boston, I live in uh, DC now. Uh, I've been working at various remote startups and companies for a while. I had a daughter last year. Thank you, thank you. Uh, after, after paternity leave, I got back to my job that I was working at at the time, found out that everything had changed while I was gone in a way that I had known that I was not gonna be working there in like a month as soon as I got back. So we were doing this. We started planning this again. March, I got, uh, March I got laid off. When I got laid off, my wife fired our nanny the next week. Since then, this whole summer has been us trying to, Colgan and I trying to make this full time. It has not gone well. It's been a very trying, debt-filled, non-milestone hitting year for me. However, this right now made a lot of it worth it. Just being able to see people and hear people's stories is gonna be good for me. Cause when I'm stuck in my own world, you know how men are, we get all broody and shit, and we're either gonna wild out, <laughs> start fighting, or we just get really, really sad and have heart attacks at like 49. So I think it's, this is good therapy for me to be able to share what's been going on with me, but also to hear that there are other people like me out there in the world who have dreams and have hopes and have aspirations. Um, and so that's what this night's gonna be about. So if it's all right with you, I wanna continue with the show. Is that all right, everyone? All right, let's do it, let's do it. The very first person who's gonna come up here, I don't know if you remember, I think it was you. You were in DC, it may have, or someone that works with you. You were at a flea market at Eastern Market. I bought one of your notebooks. I went on IG, yeah. Went on IG, yeah, it was me. Yeah. <laughs> went on IG after it. Um, and uh, just kept following you. And I've always been a big fan. Of, I was a big fan of your brand, your workshops, the stuff you do, and just black women holding it down. I'm a big fan of it. So we don't know each other that well. However, that's all I know about you, so I hope to learn more. But everyone, if you could, please give a round of applause to Elisa Brock. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. We don't always get a chance to talk about our experience. People see the product, but they don't really know where it comes from, right? So, like Joel said, my name is Elisa Brock. I'm the owner of the Drama Mama Bookshop. And I'm a writer, and I basically just make uh, notebooks all day long. Well, I used to just make notebooks all day long. Now I like do a bunch of HR stuff and all the stuff they require you to do to run a business which is lame, but you gotta do it to do what you love. Um, I'm originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. Yes, New Orleans. Um, I'm the youngest of seven children. A lot of people don't know that. So I got a lot of nicknames. They call me Kudakita, Lili, Weekly, Groovy. You get a lot of names when you're the youngest, right? Um, I didn't come from a particularly uh, lavish childhood. I experienced a lot of things growing up that I probably should have never experienced. Um, but I held on to journaling and writing things down. Um, today was a little rough, right? Because I was really grappling about like what I would share with y'all. I wanted to share some stuff that could inspire you because that's kind of my jam, making people feel better about themselves. Um, and I pulled out the notebook. This is not mine, by the way, because I would never, all right? But this is the first notebook that uh, came with me from New Orleans uh, back in 2005. And I started reading through it and literally like, she was 17, she didn't know no better. 
it's like garbage in here, but my feelings nonetheless. Um, journaling has been a huge part of my life. My mom journaled most of her life on to paper and she taught me to do the same. I uh, came here back in 2005 where I, um, after Hurricane Katrina, so I ended up evacuating to Pasadena, Texas. And then um, the next day I found out we weren't going back home. So I came to Baltimore with $100 in a suitcase, right? That's all I had. I, ha I hopped from house to house. I was basically homeless. Uh, the Red Cross put me inside of a um, hotel at BWI while I went to school at Coppin State. Now y'all know what Coppin is, right? And y'all know what airport is, right? So I had to hop on the light rail in a city I ain't know nothing about. People thought I talked funny, y'all talk funny. I'm used to it now though. And um, I went to school and I figured it out step by step until Coppin could make room for me on campus, right? I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. Like I used to take the skirts, um, all the, the shorts really, that girls would wear with the plaid and stuff and I turned into A-line skirts and sell them for like $5. I thought I was balling back then. I was like, I'm $5, I do it for $5. It was a big deal. So I had that energy. But I love to write. I also read a lot and I talk to people a lot. So I'm good at making friends. I can meet people, talk to people anywhere. Um, back then, I, uh, I would, uh, at lunchtime, I would go to like every clique in the little, you know, on the playground, and I laugh and crack jokes with everybody, and then when I was done, I would go to the stairwell and read. Like, I loved literature. I love romance novels in particular. Terry McMillan, Eric Jerome, Dickey, all the stuff you shouldn't be reading at 15, I was reading it. Um, I wanted to be like the women they wrote about. They were strong. They had autonomy over their own bodies. And um, I really wanted to be like the writers because they were so good at telling stories and talking about people who looked like me. Um, I had a teacher who saw me reading. I went to Walter L. Cohn. Look it up. You find out what it's like in you know the early 2000s. Um, he took me to the side because he saw me reading in a school where people weren't typically reading. And um, he got me into dramatic interpretations. I did speech and debate. And um, we would go off to like um, these really lavish high schools. And I had never knew kids could live so lavish my whole life. These kids had Hummers, they had all kinds of stuff I never even saw in person before. And I would go there and I would tear them up, okay, in speech. They had access to books I ain't never heard of and I would tear them up. Um, that put confidence in me. It made me feel like I could go anywhere and do anything with myself. So I have a real strong regard for educators. Um, the reason I make journals uh, mostly is because I need them to process my thoughts and my feelings. I used to just pour out like everything that went wrong in life on the paper. I just, you know, just jot it all down. I didn't have much of a voice growing up that I could use, I had one, they just ain't like it. But I, um, I would write it down. Back in 2012, I know the year because a lot of wild stuff was happening back then. So in 2012, I decided to read all my journals, you know? And you would have thought I never smiled, never cracked a joke, you know? Never played around, never fell in love. 
And so I made a point to myself to not just write the bad, but to write the good, and that I needed balance in what I jotted down. Because if I was going to jail tomorrow, they would, y'all wouldn't know. So I wrote down um, what I wanted life to look like, and I started manifesting wild shit for myself. Africa? I started manifesting good, because I won't say a lot, okay? So um, I started manifesting a lot of dope stuff for myself. I started affirming myself differently. Um, I started uh, binding books, which is also a little bit of a long story, but I ended up uh, losing a friend. The Tiny Taylor Shop. I don't know if y'all ever heard of it, how long y'all been in Baltimore, but it was ran by this real big woman that wasn't tiny at all. She was tall and wide and mean. But her heart was sweet as gold, like she was a sweet, sweet woman. Anywho, um, after I used to sit on her sofa and listen to her talk to me, she had a big, 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 big opinion, and I felt real strong next to her. I felt strong next to her because if you could stand next to somebody whose opinion was that big and hold your own, you the shit. And I felt like the shit. And she had wisdom to share, but you had to kind of like weed through it. You know how people be like that. So anyway, um, I went to go check on her, I found out she had passed. Um, and I'm the kind of person that's gonna check on you, like, what's wrong, you know, you answer the first call, I'm coming to your door, I'm gonna find out if you're good. If I rock with you like that and you let me, you know, I'm gonna do it. So I went to check on her, I found out she had passed, right? And so I literally just waited downstairs, we did a wellness call, and it kind of jacked me up a little bit. But um, when she came, uh, you know, I watch her body, I watch her body leave, um, I watch her body leave the building, and it, it, I, I walked home, and I was, I was really like, you ever walk, and it look like your destination is further and further, even though you're getting closer and closer? That's probably anxiety, because that's how I felt. So I got home, and um, I didn't feel like, oh, dang, could y'all hear me this whole time? All right, my bad. Okay. The, um, I felt like the... I got home and I had decided that I was gonna buy the book. I bound one and then one turned into a million. I didn't feel like writing. I didn't go straight to the page, so I just made stuff. And I stamped affirmations on the journals about how I wanted to feel. And um, I start selling them and people start buying them. <laughs> My passion for writing um, has kind of fueled so much of what I do. I write for other people, you know, I write books and biographies for folks who need help developing their stories. Um, when I finally did get the opportunity to write and start writing things down again, I had a stronger perspective. It built me up, got me stronger. And I started I could make a difference and like make people feel good too if I just made a couple books. So I've been binding and grinding ever since. Um, I think it looked more lavish online than it re really is in person. <laughs> You know the internet make everything look like it's just a stairway to heaven or whatever. But um, it's been rough. It's not easy running a business. But I knew I wanted to do something I love. And I get to do it every day. I get to like make stuff and a bunch of people in Baltimore got my books now and in DC. I'm like, what? And they be telling me how they like using it and shit. I be like, what? You know, she's like, I use it for my wedding. My baby was born. I was like, dang, that's powerful. I'm helping you manifest some good stuff, you know, and I'm a part of that. And that's, the, that's really the thing that keep me going.
I'm not that good at celebrating um, small moments. I'm a mama gun. Um, I'm not that really good at celebrating, not small moments, but celebrating myself as much as I should. But um, we about to open up a kiosk in the airport, y'all. That's a big deal. Look at little old me, $100 in a suitcase. That girl bad. Like, I really did that. You know, I did that by myself, hard and all. I did that. So I've been working on celebrating myself, you know, so I know how far I come. And it feel good, it feel uncomfortable, but I'm getting there. Well, if you fly, you know, you going somewhere, we gonna be in Concourse A. You can see all the light I got in that airport. Got some real shit up there. Yeah, some shit y'all can feel. Tell people about this shit, write shit down. All right, that's it y'all. Thank y'all. All right, uh, next person, we're gonna keep it rolling along. Uh, when I was uh, networking for this event, uh, as you know, I don't live in Baltimore, I live in DC. So I'd either drive up right after work got out or catch the mark, go to networking events. And I was actually supposed to meet this individual at a networking event that was canceled while I was on the way up here on the mark. Didn't know until I got to that networking event. And I was calling people, I think I was calling Akio, like, don't make this a waste of time, bro. Someone hang out with me. No one was answering their phones. And this gentleman was the only other person that showed up for the networking event, and we connected, had a really good conversation. Um, he's got real big things coming up. So everyone, please give a round of applause for a good dude, just met, great guy. Joshua asked you, get on up here, bro. Like, like uh, Lisa said, shout out to Joel for putting this, this whole event together. Um, and shout out to Moptown Brewery, too, for having us. Uh, my name is Josh S. Hugh, like Joel just said. Uh, born and raised in Baltimore. Uh, I went to uh, a small private school in the city called Gilman for all 13 years uh, of school. And then after that, uh, I went to the University of Delaware uh, where I played football and majored in uh, economics there. Uh, and then immediately after that, I went right into the workforce, uh, started working with my mother, uh, actually at, at an accounting firm. So that's what I do. That's my nine to five, uh, just working with her. Uh, working with her, you know, is, is you know, working with mom is, is a great thing, but it, it's challenging at the same time. Um, but the the moonlighting venture, the, the reason that I was at Upsurge in the first place to talk to Joel uh, was about uh, my startup, right, which is a pet technology company, a smart collar company uh, that fuses music and machine learning to create a customized uh, calm formula. Uh, for your dog, right? We got a lot of dogs in here. Um, so definitely some people I got to talk to uh, at the end of this event. But uh, so essentially when, when I talk to investors about why why music, uh, I think it's, it, to me it's pretty simple. It's why music is the same reason that everybody here I think loves music, right? Music is to me the closest thing we have to magic. Music has the ability to transcend, to take us from one state of emotion to the next, right? If we're on a long car ride and we want to make it a little bit quicker, right? We put on our favorite playlist. If we want to feel some nostalgia, if we want to want to feel a specific emotion, right? We'll, we'll, we'll put on that playlist and we'll feel like we're right there, right in the moment, right? Uh, you know, if you want to set a romantic evening, there's a lot of couples here, and if you want to set a romantic evening, you've got a playlist for that. If you want to get yourself excited for the gym, you've got a playlist for that. So. I don't think it should really serve as too much of a surprise that dogs, you know, uh, creatures that were, were bred to be man's best friend for 10,000 10, years um, have a similar response to, to the same stimuli. Like, so specifically classical reggae, 
soft rock, all of these different genres, right, elicit the same response uh, in dogs that may be like a lullaby, Ryan Hood. Um, and just for me, moonlighting and, and entrepreneurship is is one of the the greatest challenges and, and but most fulfilling thing things that I do. Like I said, I worked the nine to five, but I, I couldn't see myself doing that doing that full time. I love sort of the the mystery that's associated with with the entrepreneurship thing. Like trying to figure out, trying to find the different avenues, everything. You, you create it, you pave it for yourself. I like to think a lot and like analogies to to make things simpler for myself. And to me, the corporate world is more, like if you're like at a giant amusement park ride, the, the corporate world is like that carnival, right? And and I'm not, this is not me knocking knocking the corporate world at all. All my friends, my, my parents, they all came from that. I'm, I'm in that now. But to me, that, that corporate world is kind of like that carnival where each cart slowly moves up. That's what they tell you, right? You work as hard as you can, you put your head down, you grind, and, and slowly you get to, get, to, get to the top. But to me, that corporate world is kind of like a zero-sum game, right? Because even when you get to the top, you win, it means somebody else loses. But with entrepreneurship, right, everybody who's a part with you, it's more like a roller coaster, right? Everybody who, who, who's on that train, who's on that cart with you, we all coming up together. We all going through the same twists and turns together. Um, and when we win, everybody wins. Um, and yeah, you know, that, that's pretty much what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. So my, my roommate came to me with, with an idea for a speaker in the collar uh, in June. And so I spent the past three and a half months sort of validating the idea, making sure that music really was a medium, making sure that music really was something uh, that, that could calm dogs, that this was a viable idea. Uh, I don't think, I, I can't remember if I told Joel this or not, but this, this is actually my second go around. I'm only 26, but this is my second go around with the, the whole entrepreneurship thing. Before this, I had a SaaS business. It was a, an engagement management platform called Notice um, that, that was geared you know, specifically towards the way accounting firms work. But the, the, it was ultimately a failure, flopped. We got a couple customers, we got a couple businesses to, to commit and to want to use the product, but ultimately, uh, we, we were spending more than we were taking in for too long, but that ended up being a blessing in disguise because a lot of the losses that, that happened from that venture, I'm utilizing now to make sure that, that it doesn't happen again. And again, like I said, it's, it's completely unknown. I think probably I'm the earliest of, of anybody here in terms of, of what stage they're at with the business. We're still at the prototype and, and patent pending stage, but like I said, I'm just really excited for the for the entire journey, and and really thankful to Joel for for putting this together. I think this I think Joel uh, should really get a lot more credit too, because this is I don't know any other podcast or any other platform that's given local entrepreneurs seven minutes to talk about their business. So, you know, again, I know people busy, people doing anything right now, but but again, you know, if you see Joel, give give him a, a round of applause too, and give him a hand as well. And that's all I got. Thank you. Appreciate you. Two speakers in. Do y'all get the gist of it yet? Does this make sense? Is it good? Y'all want y'all want to say something back to me? Is this is it how y'all liking this? How y'all feeling this? This is this is good, right? This is good, right? All right. This is Baltimore. This is your city. This is why I'm here. I, it's not just me walking around. Like you all are like the most welcoming people I've ever met. No, seriously. Like y'all are nice. Like y'all may not think you're nice. But y'all are really nice. Like, people don't say hello to you in most of the places I've lived in my life or share things with you or share their friends and circles with you is what you've all done. So thank you for that. I appreciate that.
Um, speaking of shared circles, the next person who's going to speak uh, was following Baltimore entrepreneurship, and I would watch a lot of the posts that this gentleman would make online. And his business idea uh, was great. I admired it, um, and it was everything he did was full of life. Um, it was fun, and uh, I was like, I gotta meet this person at some point. And you had a retail spot opening up on uh, 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 Utah Street. Did I pronounce that right? Utah, downtown, by the Lexington Market. But I went to your opening and it was great. And I just followed you uh, this whole entire time, your, your, your progress, your success. And you're a really positive person and I just hope more people get to see your story. Um, he's the founder of the Black Genius Art Show. Everyone, please give a round of applause. Make some noise for Brian Robinson, who's about to share his story with us. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Robinson, uh, owner of the Black Genius Art Show. Uh, my journey, I guess my journey is, um, of course it started as a kid, that's what we do. We get, we get creative and we do things as kids and we grow into these adults. You either kept doing it or you didn't, but um, Brian Robinson, born in East Baltimore, the real East Baltimore, 1600 block of Whip Street, Landvale Federal. That's where I'm from. Um, as a kid, the youngest of four, yeah, I, my parents had me really late. So I was always being creative because I had to. We had older brother, older sisters that was going off the military, uh, police department. So I was stuck in the house with these two old parents and I had to be creative. So I was always being creative, drawing uh, from an early age. Um, a lot of copying of what I saw. So I did a lot of like looking at comic books and trying to draw it the best way I could. Then I got bored with that and really started to tap in into the toys I liked, like Legos and things like that. Because that kind of toy, you're able to like create your own. Uh, you know, I got directions to build stuff, but I never like to go by the direction. I like to keep on doing what I was, you know, what I wanted to do uh, and build my own narratives. And it's funny that something like that would stick and stay with me as an adult as I got older. So uh, that was me, East Baltimore kid growing up, educated in Baltimore, still in Baltimore. And that's where I found my voice to artists as well. As I got older, um, graduated from City High School, um, City Forever, did that thing. Uh, Went to community college, and also while I was in community college, I was balancing, you know, what I wanted to do. I always knew I wanted to be an artist. I always knew I wanted to create something where other people can come into an establishment and uh, create and feel comfortable creating. And that's what I did. Um, uh, after high school, I was in the streets, not selling drugs and shit like that. But I was, um, I like to play basketball. So after high school, I would go around the city and just do that. That was my hobby. The only hobby I knew besides art was playing basketball. So I did that and do the transition of um, trying to figure out what I, what I wanted to do with life after um, high school. I went to community college and studied business marketing. And it was there where I learned like, you know what? Even as a child, I, I was always practicing my signature. I was always like trying to like, I'm gonna sign off on something. I'm gonna try to uh, <laughs> do something creative and say this is my signature. So um, after high school, community college, business marketing, I learned how to market and um, just come up with ideas and market around the city of Baltimore. I got into uh, filmmaking. I was always in the family, the one with the camera, trying to tell the stories with the cameras and things like that. You know, you know what it's like a key So I was doing that, always documenting stuff, but back then we didn't have editing programs, so I didn't know how to edit the shit. So I just had uh, footage of my aunts and cookouts and all kind of stuff that they never saw. Still to this day, people have not seen the footage on my cameras, bro. But um, that's how I knew I had the ability to tell the story uh, visually with my hand drawing pictures as well as with the camera and telling these stories to my parents and the, the things that meant the most to me was like family. And uh, growing up in the church, that was important too. Like 
faith and uh, having faith in God and uh, my beliefs and things like that. So then you got this artist who's like playing with toys and he gets older, he starts to draw these characters and he's playing with cameras. All this was mixed into this adult that's now about 20 years old, um, business marketing. Uh, I need a job. Parents old school, all they knew how to do was like go to work, pay bills, go to work, pay bills. Mother was a cook, father was into construction, Vietnam veteran who got into the construction field. All I saw was them going to work in the morning, paying bills, coming home. What you gonna do with your life, boy? What you gonna do with your life, boy? I'm an artist, I'm gonna do, draw a picture, I'm gonna be an artist, shit. That's all I knew, so um, that's all I had. Uh, so I'm in community college, uh, dropped out of that joint. <laughs> Kept on creating. Uh, start making films, start writing. I wanted to write scripts and things like that. Always sketching, but never took it to the you know, level I wanted to. High school, high school teacher told me, you'll be a good painter. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck you, I won't. So um, the camera's where I found myself starting to become more comfortable. I was telling these stories, so. I went to an animation school. This was, I was going to community college, got into an animation school, where I was learning how to take those characters I started doing as a kid. When I stopped drawing the comic books, I wanted to make my own character. So I was in an animation school, and there I was taking these characters I did in middle and high school that I called Boneheads. And I started to really see how I can give these a different perspective, make them move, make them talk. This is crazy, this is dope. Same time I'm in animation school, I'm going to community college, and I got enrolled into the Baltimore City School System as an as as educator. Started in the special education department. So now I'm doing way too much. I'm, I'm, going, I'm in the school system working. Uh, I'm going to community college. I'm also going to vocational animation school. And I'm trying to balance filmmaking, animation, and then marketing. So it's like, how do you do all this stuff uh, as this young man in East Baltimore and then still try to find a hoop, go outside and hoop with my friends, you know? So I'm trying to balance all these different lifestyles. It was a lot. Um, it wasn't until social media really picked up that I was able to really share these stories faster than I thought I could. So then I start posting these images um, on, uh, on Facebook, like the pictures I drew. And they said, oh, I thought you did film. I thought all you did was film. Like, now I like to draw too. So now I'm getting this whole communication between the internet and it's like, oh, they want me to draw, but I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. And at this point, I done submitted query letters to people and tally. I done had scripts. I done done short films, music videos. But I still didn't quite find my voice as an artist. Um, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I started going to underground hip-hop spots, underground poetry spots. And this is where I found myself early 20s. It's like, yo, you know what? I think my, my stories are seeing my peers that are creatives and people like me that look like me that was on like public access television. Like I seen them, and I was like, yo, these are people that's like, they doing dope shit. Like I like what they're doing. That's when I found my voice as an artist. That's when I knew I, what I wanted to do. So I tapped into the underground um, hip hop spots and poetry spots. I, 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 I used to write songs, poetry, all this stuff. And um, but I didn't quite know what my voice was. So then I would go to these hip hop spots and start documenting these artists that I was inspired by to create, whether with a camera or me drawing these pictures of them. And that's when I realized, you know what? I think I'm a filmmaker, you know, I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a filmmaker. So I started submitting films to different places, started getting denied. And when I started getting denied these films and these opportunities, that's when I was like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm just gonna work for the school system and do my thing as a school teacher. At this point, my position went from the special education office to when I started working as a resource teacher. So I was teaching technology and things like that. So now, I got all this talent, man. I done worked at post office jobs, I done worked at warehouses to the point where I couldn't even get a job at the ice cream factory because he was overqualified to work at the ice cream factory. It was really crazy. So now I'm stuck in the school system. Um, and the school system, I found times to uh, you know, create. 
but it wasn't what I wanted because after being denied so many opportunities from these film companies, I was going to be the next Spike Lee and all these things, I stopped. I stopped creating. I stopped really drawing. I stopped creating. I said, I'm just going to pay bills. Go to school. I'm going to pay my bills. Do what I got to do. So then um, I got stuck. I got stuck around 2013. And I didn't know what to do. I said, I'm just going to just pay my bills and teach the babies and do what I do. And I start picking up the medium of painting. Um, I got some blank canvases and started to create, but I needed some content. The only content I had were these animated characters I was on in middle and high school that I called boneheads. I started drawing these things down, and that became my medium. <clears throat> that became my go-to content to create. So with that, I was telling the stories of the people I knew, my friends, my peers, the poetry situations, me writing songs. All these images was like filtered in my head to come out on these canvases, and I started painting. And I remember my high school teacher said, yo, you should be a painter, and here we go. I'm a grown ass man, now here I go, I start painting these characters that I call boneheads, but I need a better name. Uh, so I dug, researched the things I've been through, and said, you know what, all them youth, like growing up, the people that was around me, the, these MCs, these poets, they were like geniuses to me. At this point, I'm like Marvin Gaye, I'm on the old town, Motown. my parents were old, I like Motown, I like the new age, I had older brothers and sisters, my music preference was all over the place. So I was inspired from people like Marvin Gaye, Keith Haring, um, uh, and of course, Basquiat, um, Emory Douglas, these are like people in the art who I was inspired by, Melvin Van Peoples. I put that into all my work, from the filmmaking to the visual art, um, and I consider them geniuses. So I rebranded the name from Boneheads to uh, adding that genius part in it. The black part, people would say, oh, you're black, that's why you call it the black genius art show. But actually, a lot of my pieces, I use a really black, bold line around all, my pa all, around all my paintings. It kind of helps it pop. And that's where that black element comes in as well, because that's also has so many different stories, and you can use black in so many different ways, so it's always changing, always evolving. And that's where the black part came in, the black genius art show. The art show is wherever I am, and it's wherever you are. So it's, it's an it's a art style that like, it's a, it inspires and it reaches people, and I see it. And here we go, 2014, I started painting. I rebranded it from Boneheads to the black genius art show. I stopped comparing myself to other artists, because during that 2013 period, I was comparing myself. I had social media, so I was seeing people move things faster, seeing things happen for people faster, seeing people upload films and videos that I, didn't, I wasn't able to do that. I was always comparing myself, trying to catch up to the next person. So when I stopped doing that, refocused my medium to what I love to do, which was these characters where I was able to control the whole narrative. I created that, put into the brand, the Black Jeans Art Show, and started to move with that brand. It helped me to also develop a regiment to create every day. That became my motto, to create every day, no matter what you did. I don't care what you do, like, just do it every day no matter how it is, and um, I think sometimes we put success so high that we can't reach it, you know what I'm saying? So with that, I was able to like, I did that, I did that, so start capitalizing on the small things that build you up to the big ones, to the point where you, you, you do so many small things, you accomplish it from waking up and sketching something that you had in your mind that once you do so many things, like you, you don't set success so high you can't reach it, and that's what I do. So Create Every Day became my regiment, I stopped comparing myself, and I started working on my brand, how to market, and be happy doing what I love doing, which was creating. Um, the Black Jeans Arsenal was born in 2014 um, in my apartment. <laughs> I'm painting all these pictures, went from 50 paintings to like, I'm getting asked to show to Chicago doing the Freddie Gray thing, and they thought I'm from Milwaukee. And I'm like, I'm from Baltimore, yo. So I'm out in, in Chicago doing art shows with 50 pieces that I didn't even know how to price or sell. Uh, it took me a whole summer just to price my work. <sighs> took that experience, came back to Baltimore, and kept on grinding, doing outside pop-ups from churches to bars to parks to local festivals to Aframs, you name it. I was there popping up to the point where my inventory began to, began to grow. I had all my work inside of a suitcase, which me and my mother used to go to thrift shops and I got a suitcase. I put all my work inside the suitcases, like prints and things that I could sell as art and tell these stories of these 
these um these pieces these, that I was painting that was um the black jeans art show pieces animated characters 2D animated characters that I was painting started to pop up in these parts to the point where my inventory started to grow people started asking about the art I sold the piece and I'm like oh shit I'm selling this stuff now this is crazy yo this is a business for real so the business marketing aspect began to grow for me going to these poetry spots trying to pitch my song right, pitch my films, cutting flyers, putting them on cars, because now like the internet's come, so now I can share content. I'm going places, showing up, learning how to set up a table and put down, you know, tablecloth and things, you know, price points, uh, talking to people, uh, taking offense when people talk about my art and taking it personal sometimes, but also being know, knowing how to take it and, um, and grow from it. So it went from the pop-up tables in the parks to um, me having a network with a friend of mine, John of Cashland Clothing, it's an urban retail in Baltimore. I knew him when I was 19, when I was just trying to get out there and create stuff. He said he had a warehouse. He's like, yo, I've been following your work. I know you got a warehouse. You just come to my warehouse and do some stuff there. So I'm in church one day. I wrote up my whole map plan how I wanted my gallery space to look. If I started a gallery space, wrote it on the back of a church program. Uh, <clears throat> February 2022, February 2020, right when COVID was all happening, I moved into the spot thinking, oh, I'm going to kill it now. I'm inside this warehouse. I got a brick and mortar. I'm in here with my homie. He big in retail, I got my art pieces. I done sold some stuff around the city. I went to this um, shared space in, on Bayard Street, South Baltimore, went there, and that same map I wrote out and made it plain, put on a uh, church program, uh, went inside the gallery space and built that same idea I had onto the wall and started to think I was gonna move a certain kind of way, but COVID hit, so you couldn't get in there. So people weren't coming out, um, but that was, that was the, the, the moment I learned, yo, you still gotta be consistent, you still gotta create every day. At this point, I'm still teaching. I'm still doing after-school prep. I'm giving the kids so much need uh, throughout the day, even in the evening, and still trying to find time to uh, display my art in this shared space. So inside the shared space in that year, when people wasn't coming, I had to realize ways to recreate, uh, rebrand myself, and, and really push the product when the people wasn't coming. So I rebranded uh, some things, learned how to set up and display, and really operate as if people was coming, even though they wasn't. And this is just faith when you're seeing that something can happen even when you don't see the movement, but you got to keep believing in what you're doing and keep creating every day. So a year later, I got an opportunity to go into um, my own space. Uh, I got into a boost program, Black Organized and Operated Storefronts Tennis Team downtown Baltimore, where they were allowing black businesses to come downtown and really like change the whole narrative of what was happening downtown. So it was during that period of, of not having foot traffic or not knowing um, where the sales would exactly come from, but just still having faith into the, in the brand and what I was doing and consistency that in that year where COVID had hit, it was a year where I was able to really, as an artist, uh, focus on my, my artistry, my finances, and opportunities that was gonna come that I wasn't even, you know, even though it could happen. Uh, in that year, I was able to get a um, partnership with Van Shoes, which actually, it helped me to believe in my brand because I like wearing Vans and, uh, I never thought I would have a contract with Vans, so I had my homeboys in the shop talking about, yo, all you do is wear Vans, you know, you do the Vans boss. And with that being said, even with that, a week later they called me to do a partnership with them, and that, that worked out well, and a year later I opened my own shop, where I'm able to create my own narrative and bring other people, other creatives, and I now own a gallery space in downtown Baltimore where it brings in other creatives. The first show we did was for youth. Had the youth come there called Young Dreamers, they went there and sold all their artwork, because that hit me a certain kind of way as a young dream in Baltimore growing up in East Baltimore as an eight-year-old kid drawing these pictures. The youngest kid we had in our show was eight years old and they go in there and they sold all their works. And that was the first show I did in my gallery space. Then I brought my homies in, they sold work, and we're continuing to do that right now. 
So right now, that's where I'm at. I, I operate a gallery space and retail space in downtown Baltimore. I create. I educate the kids still in Baltimore. I'm still doing what I love. I'm still creating every day. And that's the journey of uh, me, I guess. Yeah. Everyone, round of applause for everyone who's already come up here, please. All right, Black Genius Art Show. I've been there. It's, it's a great time. It's really nice. Uh, 106 North Utah Street. 106 North Utah. If you just came in a little prior, my boy Josh spoke a little bit earlier. If you want to connect with him after, we also had Elisa Brock from Drama Mama Bookshop. Remember that, Drama Mama. Everything that you see people talk about here, we're recording. Well, Colgan's recording. I'm just here. Uh, but we're going to make sure this goes up online. Everyone here will have a copy just so you can watch this, share with your friends, and enjoy it. Um, so cool. Everyone feeling good? A few more left halfway through. Thank you all. Again, thank you all for coming. Seriously. Like, you didn't, you didn't have to be here. Again, like, the purpose of this is I want folks who are doing what I'm doing. Not even. Even if you're not a moonlighter. Even if you just want someone to talk to. You know what I mean? That's not about work or business. You're trying to connect with folks. We're trying to build a community where you can do that. So no matter who you are, where you come from, what you do, how much money you make, we just hope this is a space where you can learn something and just kick it. So is it, does it seem like that so far? I work. Um, the next person who's going to talk uh, uh, is, a, is a sponsor of the show. He's uh, one of my closest friends, a good friend of mine. He, uh, he is a very driven dude, uh, a very positive dude. Came up from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, is a smart brother you should connect with. Knows his stuff, knows his tech, knows football, knows food very well. Um, everyone give it up. My boy Rashad Sanders from Drip Picks. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, me, um, I did drive up here from uh, Richmond, Virginia, but I'm originally from Columbia, South Carolina, born and raised. And uh, for me, um, much similar to y'all, I don't got old parents. My parents are actually younger when they had me, but I got parents with an old soul. So that meant my mom, I got four brothers and my mom wasn't spending a lot of money on shoes, clothes, none of that. Went to church, you took care of what you had, uh, what you had and uh, if you didn't, my pops would take care of you. So, but uh, that wasn't, uh, <laughs> that's how I grew up. But um, with that, um, I learned the value of really taking care of the things that I had. Um, really, um, really very meticulous about making sure that my house won't be clean, but my sneakers and my shoes, they're going to be clean. They're going to look good. They're going to be sharp. You know, ain't going to be many, uh, creases in them. Um, and then also with my dress shoes, I had a pops that will wake up every Sunday morning. And if your shoes wasn't at the, at the uh, foot of that table when it was time to get them polished, he gonna handle you, um, sadly. <laughs> Took that into the pandemic when I couldn't really get to buy sneakers, couldn't really buy much. Um, and I ended up just really like diving deep into like just the videos of people refurbishing, cleaning, doing this, doing that. So I kind of took that love for cleaning and seeing things go from used and old to new to creating a company called Drip Fix. And uh, what we do at Drip Fix is um, we were reimagining the cobble experience for the current age. Um, so what we do currently is that we refurbish sneakers, uh, boots, just leather goods, and we take them from the used scruffy back to out the box looking new. Um, I met this guy again when I was in Boston, and I was starting working on another venture. Uh, I had created a SaaS software company uh, where I would create a transportation management software for small businesses. 
and we saw he saw this company go from the top to crash and burn. Um, but one thing I did get from that was uh, the friendship uh, that I have with Joe. He's a great guy. As a matter of fact, he told this story at my wedding, so I tell this to you guys. We would work on Saturdays, and we would walk uh, from our office to the Popeyes uh, up in um, uh, up near up near where our office was, and we would order a ten piece all thighs and crush it, crush it, be damn near asleep <laughs> when we were supposed to be working. Um, but in that, um, you know, just created a great friendship. You know, so he asked me to come up to do the uh, to help sponsor the Moonlighters Club. I was definitely um, excited. Definitely wanted to make sure I could support my friend. Um, but then again, yeah, yeah, he he deserves a lot of credit for this. Um, this is a lot. I can't put on events. Um, I can't. I can't put on anything. Uh, <laughs> I need help organizing a lot of stuff. Um, so um, it's great to see that you guys are sticking with it. Um, stay encouraged. Um, I know for me, you know, the biggest thing for me is that I did grow up in the church. So always making sure that you have faith um, in what you're doing. Um, and my biggest thought is that entrepreneurship is kind of like the most intimate walk that you can have as a Christian with or whoever whoever your God is, my God is Jesus Christ. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, but I feel like that's the ultimate walk of faith you can take. So just believe in yourself. Um, you may fail. I failed more. I have never had that. They asked me, I've never had a success. Um, but I'm happy and I'm passionate about what I do. Um, but thanks for listening to me. Thank you, Rashad. Drip Fix, everyone, jot that down. Rashad is based in Richmond, Virginia, uh, starting the business all by himself. So literally doing all the operations, branding. He's made his own commercials, videos, uh, monitors the cleanings, the fixings of the sneakers, all of that. I know he's also making uh, content related to that too. So for, for those folks looking to connect with someone in another area for content purposes, for sneaker purposes, you need shoes, any of that, Drip Fix, Rashad Sanders, uh, please make sure you reach out to him before the show. I forgot who's supposed to go next, so I gotta look it up right now. Uh, but thank you so much for coming here, Rashad. Drip Fix for those. And we'll make sure before we leave tonight, we get all the socials connected. Thank you. Ah, uh, uh, the next person, uh, the, the painting events that you put on, I started following those, but you also have a page which you'll talk to on your own, called the Mini Hip Hop Museum, that I love, because I love arguing a lot, and I love arguing about hip hop a lot. Like, I love just yelling at people, telling them who I care about, not giving a damn who they care about, and exerting my pants. Your post every morning, I'm sharing them with my voice. Like, my friends actually were sharing your post, not aware that you were here. And Blind Leap of Faith, I just reached out prior to this showcase, asked if you want to be a part of uh, be part of it, and you were nice enough to say yes, and that actually meant a lot to me. So, I hope this person gets up here and they're able to share their uh, share their story with you all. Please take the time to listen. Everybody, give it up, give it up, please, Millie Vanderwood. Thank you, thank you. I hate public speaking, um, but y'all can follow the Mini Hip Hop Museum and the Gallery about nothing. Pull out your phone, do that. Um, thank you for having me. So. Growing up, I wanted to be a rapper. Well, a wrestler first, and then a rapper. My, uh, my mother in the back, she would find a lot of my raps and, and stuff from when I was little, and why is he cussing so much and writing this, these uh, bitches and hoes and all of this, this stuff? 
in his in his uh, notebook saying while he's at school. But um, so I rapped from the age of 12 up until maybe my mid 20s, and then I started managing artists because I don't like talking, I don't like being the center of attention, I don't like being on stage, I have asthma, and I don't like, you know, I don't want to be the, <laughs> the center of attention, I don't like talking and stuff, so like, stuff like this, like I would decline, but I don't like telling people no a lot, so. But, um, but yeah, so I started managing artists um, after I stopped rapping, and I would get these artists to open up for bigger names, like Seven Streeter, um, Tanache, and stuff like that, so. I still dibble and dabble in that, but I decided to open an art gallery randomly. Um, I do not draw or paint. I had maybe four or five business partners, and we were just looking for office space um, in downtown. So we, we found office space, and it was just for like meetings and creative space and stuff like that. It wasn't, the goal wasn't to open an art gallery. So um, that was 2015, and one of my business partners, he was a visual artist, and he had art on the wall, and I was like, oh, this could be an art gallery. So within three months, that's what I turned it into. This was December 2015. So we started doing that. The Baltimore Sun wrote a story on us, and a lot of people just were fucking with the idea, and it just was like, I was working at Mercedes-Benz at the time, so in between, from at the age of 12 up until mid-20s, I had about 30 different jobs, checkers, all kind of stuff. <laughs> 30 different jobs, I hate, I hate working for people. So the art gallery was blowing up and by the spring of 2016, I quit, I quit Mercedes because I just, it was, it was too much. I was taking cars from Mercedes and going, and going to the art gallery to show people around like on my break or like, cause I was a porter at Mercedes Benz. So I would, I'm always, I got access to the cars. I gotta pick up customers. I gotta drop cars off and stuff like that. So in between, all right, drop a customer off. Oh, somebody just hit me, they wanna see the gallery. So let me do that and then go back to the, to the dealership. Um, but I had to figure out how to make the gallery make money. I don't draw, I don't paint, I've never sold art. I didn't go to school for, for art or none of that. But also, uh, re, rewind. So when we first had our first exhibit, Ray was one of the artists in the, it was a black, it was a, an exhibit um, for black men. And he was one of the artists. He was one of the first artists to have his art displayed there. Um, Jasmine also has had art in the, she's coming up after me, but Jasmine has also had artwork in the gallery as well. But um, so yeah, but I had to figure out how to make the art gallery make money. Like I've never done this. So it was just like sipping paints were a popular thing at the time. So it was just like, all right, started doing sipping paints to pay the bills and stuff like that. But, so, rewind, quit my job, I had Mercedes-Benz, I called my mother just to get her approval, like, should I do this, should I take this leap of faith? So I did that, and um, sleeping in a car, sleeping on the floor, sleeping in the chairs, just like to, cause I'm not, I'm just trying to adapt to not having a job and, you know, like, make it work, I can't, just quit and have the gallery and then, you know, like, also afford an apartment and stuff like that. So yeah, sleeping in the car, sleeping on the floor at the gallery, sleeping in chairs, um, and yeah. So we started doing the sipping paints and they were like picking up, people fucking with that because we added a twist to it, like come sipping paint cartoons, mommy and me paint class, just different 
themes to go with the, the sipping paints. Then we started doing stripping paints. That was 2016. I've been full time since then, just maintaining like off of art. And I do not draw or paint, so like just just <laughs> just helping artists. Like thank you. So um, 2017. So the the first building we were in was like a three story building, and I'm barely paying the rent. Um, so. I had somebody on the first floor, but they got evicted. So um, I'm trying to figure out what can I, the art gallery is upstairs it's on the second and third floor. So on the first floor it's empty, but instead of me wanting to just do the art gallery thing, more art gallery stuff is just like, what new thing can I do down here? So that's when I had the mini hip hop museum idea. Cause it, at this time there wasn't no hip hop museum that existed to my knowledge, no physical space. So I'm standing outside of a J. Cole concert and trying to come up with ideas and I'm just like hip hop museum but it can't be like no big grand museum because I'm just like in a townhouse pretty much where my gallery is so did that mini hip hop museum blowing up like if you look at the followers now on IG it's like damn near 50k but um, in addition to having a gallery we travel we do sipping paints out of town I've done stuff in Atlanta Houston North Carolina all of that but yeah, the Mini Hip Hop Museum was probably like the best idea that I've had um, to date. And I don't know what else to say, but I just don't ever want to go back to working a job again in my life. <laughs> so that's the plan. Um, Brianna here, she sells bracelets at the gallery. So-so, you might have seen her like on social media. She's like the face of the gallery. My man Cam, he hosts the Mini Hip Hop debates at the gallery, you know, like it's a lot that we do. So. We also travel, like you want to come host a private event, birthday party, whatever. But we do about three, four events a week. We do about three, four events a week. That's how I pay the bills. And I know I'm all over the place, not really getting every detail of the story, but that's how I started. Like I started with, I started with four or five business partners and within the first year, they were all gone. It was just me. So, and it's been that way since. So I'm eight years in. I did put the, put out a little book. Like I didn't really push it or promote it. I ain't really push it or promote it like that, but um, it's called, what the fuck is it called? Like, <laughs> men, men rule the world, but should we? Um, just basically like, you know, like men rule the world, like the government, all that shit is, is ran by men. So I just like envision a world where like women should be in power more and men should be making all the decisions and shit like that. But it came out, a couple of people got it, but it's, you know, it's not fully out yet, but yeah, I do a lot. If you need graphic designs, if you need flyers, if you need promo videos, whatever, like, and I run like 10 different social media, social media profiles. If you need help with social media, you know, we, we do all that. So tap in, that's, that's how I make a living, like off of social media, like my phone stay in my hand. I got four phones, I got two iPads, you know, but if y'all need help, just, you know, tap in. Thank you for having me. Uh, Millie, give it up. Like, you, do not, you don't like doing this. You did fine. Uh, um, one thing to keep in mind about all of this is that, man, it can um, uh, not just, entrepreneurship can be a lonely place. And I'm realizing it's COVID, after COVID, it's not just entrepreneurship, man. Shit can just get lonely, bruh. Like, especially with this remote work stuff. Like, there's a point in time where it's just like me in a basement at a laptop. 
and it's like my wife is the only person I connected with for like a year and a half. I'm saying this because I'm trying to be as real as possible. I want this to be a community for that. So if you are trying to build something or you're just trying to talk, there are others like you trying to just find their way out here. So please reach out to whoever. Like I hope you, there is already a strong community here. But no, you don't have to go through the stuff you have to go through alone because you're not the only person going through it. We're all going through those motions trying to find our way. And there's a strong group of y'all in Baltimore trying to do it. We have two more speakers left. Um, uh, we've, I've, I'm, I'm pleased with everyone who has showed up here. I'm pleased with uh, everyone at this venue, the venue itself. Thank you all so much for letting us do this. Um, we're going to close this out with a bang. The next individual, again, which is a full testament to this network of people that I met, I met through your networks. Um, we met at the actual, the retail opening for Black Genius Art Show um, a couple years back. And uh, uh, we had a bunch of great conversations and I just kept following the stuff that you were doing and I reached out to you. I do like to see more women entrepreneurs of all types and kinds. So if you know any or if you are one and you do want to tell your story or talk, please let me know. I'm more than happy to sit my ass down and let you tell your story and do whatever I can to support you. So this individual, I hope I'm doing that for you. I will continue to try to do that for you. Everyone give it up, Jasmine Manning. Hey y'all. First, um, like Millie said, I don't like public speaking, but we're here, so we're gonna do this. <laughs> um, okay, like he said, my name is Jasmine Manning. I am an artist, portrait artist, graphic designer, muralist, um, art educator, and now I'm a program manager of a program for a nonprofit, which is a lot. <laughs> um, I basically started art when I was 13 years old, probably younger than that. Um, I remember my art teacher, well, we had to, I'm gonna tell my age, of course. I'm, I mean, we're all in our 30s, right, so. <laughs> um, in middle school, I had to choose a prime, that's what they called it, a major, and I was like, I'm not acting, because I don't like being in front of people. I like being behind the scenes. <laughs> Um, I said, I'm not singing. So I decided to just do art. Um, I ended up realizing I was really good at it. And my teacher, she was like, you should um, send your art portfolio to the school Carver in Towson. I only knew the Carver from the city. So when she said Towson, I looked at her like she was crazy. And I was like, a black girl submitting an art portfolio to this school? Like, are you crazy? Like, <laughs> it's weird. But um, me and my best friend Kiva uh, ended up submitting our portfolios and we got in. So it was like a culture shock though, thank you. <laughs> it was a culture shock, because uh, when you walk into the school, so first of all, the first time I walk in, you go into like an audition. Like you walk in, you gotta go in there, you gotta do like a drawing for like an hour and a half, and it's real weird. It's like I never experienced this. I grew up around my aunts and my uncles, and they were social workers, uh, tech. They were in tech, or they were in the, working for the government, not being creative like, like we were. So you walk into the building, and all you see is these paintings of like naked people. I'm not joking. So I'm walking in like, what the hell going on here? Like I'm not going to school here. Like <laughs> this is weird. Um, eventually, we ended up getting used to it, and we pretty much became those quirky, artsy, weird people too. Like it was weird. Now, on the other side of that, it was a little different for us because you had these, you know, brown, black young teenagers being taught by predominantly white teachers. So it was a, like I said, it was a culture shock. It was weird. 
we were in there learning about European art, and we couldn't fully connect to what they were teaching us. So when we got out of school, and we were trying to transition into careers and adulthood, we were still like trying to figure out our way out, you know what I mean? Um, when I ended up graduating from high school, um, I said, well, what can I do to keep doing art but make money? I ended up picking the major graphic design at Towson University, so that's where I graduated from. Um, and we ended up, I was like, okay. I did that for four or five years. And then after I graduated from college, you know, there's that gap where it's like, okay, I don't have a job. <laughs> I need to like find a job immediately. So there was like a year of me not working, me not doing anything. I ended up getting, you know, retail jobs like at JCPenney Portrait Studios, um, working retail at like sneaker stores and all that. Eventually, um, I ended up leaving JCPenney and I got my first big, big girl job after like a year and a half as the lead designer at a um, small company. So I was there making nice money back then. Now that wasn't, that, that there's nothing, but <laughs> I was excited back then. I was like, okay. Um, and it was cool, I love my job. What I realized when I was there, I really love my job. I love making flyers for them, logos, marketing collateral, um, what else, brochures, banners, any social media content, that's what I was making. What I realized there is I hate sitting at a desk. I was at that desk from like nine, well, first it was 10 to six, then they switched their hours to nine to five, and I was like, y'all are tripping, okay, definitely tripping, because me getting up at 9 a.m. to come sit at this desk for five, Eight hours is crazy. <laughs> um, they eventually laid me off, because I think they downsized. That, that's what they told me, I don't know. Uh, after that, there was like a span of me not working again, and then that's when the depression and the confusion kicked in for me, you know what I mean? At first I was okay, I was okay, because I felt it coming. I knew, I felt like something was about to happen, but as months go by and you're sitting there and you're not getting hired by anybody, you feel, you don't feel valid, really, from like the community or the world, honestly. Because you're just sitting there waiting for somebody to accept you for being an artist and creative, and you're not getting a job. It's really, really weird. Um, so that's when I started learning about like, mental health and all that. Like, how can I con continue to make sure I'm happy or whatever? So I ended up, start, I started painting again, because I had stopped painting when I got into college. So I started painting again, um, drawing, and that's when I ended up uh, realizing I had to get out here and network. Once again, me talking, getting in people's faces, I was like, oh. <laughs> I like to be in the background. But through that, I met people like Millie. I was always doing shows with Millie at the gallery. I met Akio, yeah, I met Brian. And I met a whole Baltimore arts community that I am so appreciative now and I, I genuinely love them. We support each other so much. I feel like we've been in a renaissance for a very long time. Like, we're really out here. Like, I, I appreciate all of us. Because I feel like when I was younger, like when I was at Carver, I was like, I don't remember these types of events, and we didn't have this when we were younger, you know what I mean? So after that, I ended up, um, I'm trying to remember what happened after that. Oh. <laughs> I ended up getting into teaching, too. So in that time span, so like 2011, 2013. Well, 2011 was when I was still in college. But 2013 and on, I started doing um, arts education. So my, the teacher who referred me to um, Carver, she ended up giving me my first um, teaching job during the summer. So I'm, and we, we're still in contact, Ms. Jurgensen. She usually, she comes to Brian's shows a lot too, and she supports me. Um, 
she gave me my first teaching job. And I've been teaching on and off ever since. So what I learned during that time span is my job as an educator and as a black woman is to make sure I provide resources for these young black boys and girls who didn't see themselves growing up in education in general, really. really. So we try to take them um, to shows like Brian, my students. So I work for Rise Arts Center of Baltimore, and we teach kids who are neurodiverse and have autism. And um, we provide programming for them from ages 14 to 24. And we teach them how to draw, of course, graphic design, filmmaking. We have a great team right now. I'm so appreciative of them. And um, one of the first big shows they did was with Brian at his um, gallery, and they sold mostly all of their work there. So I was so, 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 so proud of them. Um, they get on my nerves sometimes, but they're great. They're great. <laughs> um, and shout out to Cam. Cam is, um, I ended up meeting her as I was going through my jobs, you know, multiple jobs, working everywhere. I met her at Creative Alliance. She gave me uh, a job working at her nonprofit, which I'm still at today. I went from part-time teacher to now program manager of the Emerging Artists Program, which I'm really, really proud of. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so I, wanted, I want us to continue to use art as like, um, how can I say this, art therapy. Um, mental health is so important. This year was hard for me, like hard. And I've had my years with like, what the hell is going on? But this year was insane, which is, I know it was crazy for a lot of people. I went through a lot this year. You know what I mean? We're not gonna get into it, but. <laughs> um, you just gotta learn how to make sure you're happy. All of the, the point of all of this is to be happy. I know sometimes, you know, I know, I, I know money is important. Because when I get money, I'm very happy. But even when it goes away, you got to remember to continue to be happy and focus on your mental health and all of this. And I know that a lot, of, a lot of us use art as that, as a coping mechanism. So hopefully I can continue to inspire everybody and um, create a wonderful community for y'all. And we can continue to support each other. And thank you, Joe, for this opportunity. And um, I'm very grateful for you for getting me up here to speak. This is my first time ever doing this. I don't know if I'm going to do it again, but... Um, <laughs> um, I appreciate all y'all. I want to say thank you to all my friends and family who always come out and support. Yeah, I love y'all dearly. I really, really do. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram at <laughs> Jasmine Manning Art um, and my website, jasminemanning.com. Um, I also have shirts that I sell. And yeah, if you need a mural, if you need some marketing collateral, let me know. I'm here. Just reach out. And uh, I'm not going to say yes to everybody because I'm learning to say no. That's another thing. We got to learn to say no. Everything is not for you. Okay. And sometimes no's lead you to a bigger yes. This is what I learned. A lot of rejection. So, but yeah. Thank y'all. That's it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, we got one more. One more speaker. Um, Again, thank you, Mob Town Brewing. I hope you were all able to grab some beers. I hope they were delicious. Uh, thank you for letting us do this event. It's our first one we've done in this city. And from what you could see, I, I do believe that this city is in a renaissance. There's a lot of creative stuff that I see here that I just don't see in other places. And I live an hour away. So I think it's really cool. And I also think it's a really cool time to be in Baltimore right now. There's a lot, there's a lot going on. Um, so we're gonna close the show out. One more speaker. Uh, this name, you're, you have been name dropped a lot of times tonight. Uh, this gentleman is the reason why I know anything about this city. We've been friends for five years now. 
uh, we've been, yeah, just keeping in touch as we try to figure out who we are and what we're trying to do in this world. Uh, 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 very admirable dude I'm about to bring up. Um, I feel like I've yet to meet one person who just does not like you. Like everyone, like, like, it's, it's, like everyone likes you. Um, but to everyone, the reason why I found out about your awesome city and everyone, before that, can we get a round of applause for everyone who talked? Drama Mama, Jasmine, Brian, Black Genius Art Show, Rashad, Drip Fix, Josh, Colgan, everyone. Seriously, y'all held it down. Um, this last individual, you don't even need an introduction, bro. I'm gonna let you get up here and tell your story. You're good every time. Everybody give it up for Akio Evans. Hey, everybody, how y'all doing? First of all, thank you for staying here to hear me talk, all right? All right, so let me stop, let me stop. But um, I don't, I'm not gonna read verbatim off this. I'm just bringing this as a prop, as an example, because what everybody said before they got on here was, like Millie, he was just like, yo, you know, I just wrote stuff down, you know, uh, What's it? Brown was like, hey man, I was just drafting stuff in my comic book. So I just got this as a prop, and it's, it's gonna come full circle in a minute, but. Yeah, so anyway. But uh, this right here is a journal that I wrote down in 2023, January 2023. And it's what everybody said, that this year was a tough year. Now I'm just in my first season of becoming a full-time artist about a year ago, right? When uh, I was at the opening at Millie's uh, art ex exhibition, and even then, when I was so close to it, seeing all these artists that I was knowing, I didn't know what I was doing as an artist. I didn't even think of it as a thing, right? So um, I grew up in East Baltimore, uh, Federal and Bond to be exact, 1600 block of Bond Street. And uh, I'm not gonna say the why sob stories of what happened, but I'm gonna just say like, yeah, it was, it was crazy in that area. You get what I'm saying? Playing hide to go seek, you get interrupted, you gotta lay on the ground so a bullet won't be inside you. My mother always just said when we was like nine or 10 years old, she'd be like, a bullet has no name on it. So hey, I don't care what you do, like if it's the ground, you can wash your face. Just make sure you're on that ground when the bullets start flying. You get what I'm saying? So um, Timberland, right? I just recently did a workshop with Timberland. But my twin sister and I, we grew up not having. So we would make something, you know, make, you know the saying, make nothing out and make it into something. So back in the day, like, you know, Timberland was a big thing. And sometimes, right, you know, I was a kid that didn't mind having anything. I just seen a fresh pair of sneakers and I, I just cared that, I was like, I don't care if it's name brand or not. So I had a pair of Thensalates. How many of y'all know what Thensalates is? It, don't raise your hand. I mean, if you, okay, you don't know, right? But Thensalates was some fake butters, right? My twin sisters, um, it was like a, a, a big thing that was going on where they, we, we would draw on Timberlands. Like, like everybody was like, no, nah, I, I got you. You gotta know that I had a pair of Timberlands on. So they would take a, like a pen and actually like, you know, cover the Timberlands sign. But I was, uh, I remember I was on the corner of Federal and Bond, and this guy, he was a drug dealer, he was like, hey, yo, hey, yo, 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 you got on them Thames right there, yo, so, so you got on Thames? I was like, yeah, I flipped the pants leg up, and I heard him, and he got out of there, because I didn't want him to know that they were some Thensolates, right? But, um, you know, pretty much creating things was always a thing. My mother always instilled imagination in us. Like, comic books, I was always driven to actually read comic books. Didn't actually, like, had the desire to read, you know what I mean? Because my mother grew up in a single parent home, so, she said, okay, the best thing that I can actually teach my son is something that he likes. Because obviously he's not gonna wanna learn anything, so I gotta give him these comic books. And my mother, she was a big fan of comic books, so I would kinda like flip through the pages and act like I read them just to get another comic book. And she's like, okay, so what happened in page 36? I was like, uh, I don't know. She's like, okay, well, I'm gonna take all these comic books away from you, and you need to read that one, you know? So what was funny is that when she was, like she would have dreams 
and she would um, like manifest things, and I always look at that thing as like something that I'm like, man, whatever, man, you know. But as I got older, right, in the process of creating, because people forget, and I always say this, people forget, but paper remembers. You get what I'm saying? So you might not necessarily remember anything that you wrote down or anything that Brown wrote down, but the thing of it is that it activates something that's a superpower. And I can sit here and share with you all the things that I've created as, you know, Marvel contacted me to do rap gifts. You get what I'm saying? I didn't wear any of my shoes today because I wanted you to see me. And Joe was the very first one who flew me out. Now, not to flow you out that you know about, but he flew me out <laughs> to, come, to come to Boston to speak. And just like you, Jasmine, it was like, yo, it was my first time. I'm like, yo, I'm got me coming out here to Boston. Okay, I'm gonna just come out here for the trip, just to see Boston, just to see what it is. But I was like, wow, you know what I mean? Just if, like the exposure. Sometimes we need the exposure in order to feel comfortable. I'm gonna tell you something, man. When I was up there speaking, I was scared as I don't know what. I was just rambling, doing X, Y, and Z. And as I continue to get through it, right? Now, within a week from now, Comcast, their contact, it contacted me to speak. They paying me, I'm not gonna tell you what they pay me, but they basically paying me to speak. Me working my job at Hopkins, I worked there for 12 years. And um, I started being burnt out, like how Millie said. I would bring Nick Cannon shoes to work. And not that far from the Nick Cannon commission pieces that I would make, it was mice cages. I was cleaning mice cages out, dumping feces out the cages. And then actually bringing my work to work, that was my thing. I said, I'm gonna bring my work to work because when I go home, I'm burnt out. And then when COVID happened, oh, they were slick. They said, you know what, instead of eight hours, you're gonna work 12 hours. And then they put me in the first introductory spot where I worked at in 2010 because the robot broke. So it wasn't that they was like trying to punish me, but that's what it felt like. I'm like, I worked hard for 12 years for you to put me in the same spot that I started. And then now I can't bring my work to work. So you mean to tell me when I got all these commission pieces, then I got to struggle to go on the other side of my corner because I favored actually working harder. Whereas though, if it's a conveyor, I'm gonna look, dog, we're gonna run it. And as a matter of fact, if you try to hold me up, you know what I do, dog. You know what I do, why are you trying to hold me up, dog? All right, check this out. You take your lunch break, I ain't gonna take my lunch break to two o'clock because I gotta get what I, I, I gotta do what I gotta do. That burnt me out. So I'm gonna say April 15th, I'm sorry, April, yeah, April 15th of 2022, I decided to walk away. I left before the job fired me. And I'm so glad I did, but guess what? It wasn't all bubble gum. It wasn't all bubblicious. Speaking of my age here, right? You know what I mean? How many of y'all know what bubblicious is? Huh? Huh? All right, all right. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm talking about, yeah, anyway. So I was there, I was in my, uh, and I, and I, I was in my apartment, and I was just like, yo, like, <laughs> month, I was like, oh, I'm good. Two months, I was good, when my account started drying up, and everything under the sun happened, whereas though my funds was depleted. I'm like, dang, what am I gonna do now, man? So it was one point, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna share this story because it was full circle. Um, I, w I decided to uh, commemorate my uncle. You know, he was a big fan of Richard Pryor. Not, a big, not only a big fan, but he used to open up for Richard Pryor, right? He would open up for Red Fox. Everybody was like, yo, you sure, man? I'm like, no, nah, yo, the Chitlin Circuit. You see how we all walking in here? You see how Jasmine said this is like a renaissance? We are that renaissance. We are the Millies. We are the Jasmines. We are those people. We are Drip Fix. We are those people. We don't think nothing of it. But when we actually are gone, be like, yo, you knew him? You get what I'm saying? So that's what Richard Pryor, Marvin Gaye was a drummer. Marvin Gaye was actually drumming at the Fifth Regiment Armory. My uncle said that, Joey, in order for you to be a musician, you had to actually learn the instrument before you actually get on stage, right? My uncle had an interview at the uh, Regiment Lewis Museum, and uh, Alma, who was the director of Lady in the Lake, 
she basically seen it, and she basically seen my hashtag, my Uncle Tim, and was excited because she said, tell your uncle he's the one that was, was responsible of us creating the lady in the lake. Because we seen his interview of how he was able to be friends with Richard Pryor, Dick Gregory. He, dead, he passed away October 15th of 2022. And I remember going inside of his apartment, seeing fresh obituaries of Dick Gregory. Like, uh, so everything he said was, was true. But anyway, I'm gonna say this because when I created the drop, the Richard Pryor drop, everything I create, y'all, like I wish I had time to share with you, but it seemed like it'd be like manifestation things. Things like when I create images, and images and words are powerful, right? So when I'm creating things, I'm like, oh, my uncle like Uncle Tim, my mother used to like, I'm, I'm sorry, my, my uncle Tim like Richard Pryor, my mother like Richard Pryor. All right, I'm gonna create a drop. I created the drop and I decided to, um, you know, uh, it was one day I was burnt out. And this is like I said, a month after I, I, I was like deciding to leave my job. And I remember I had, uh, was in my apartment. I mean, I was in tears, y'all. Cause I was like, yo, why? Yo, I'm all for work and I can't do my work. He was one of the ones that got my size art. I only do like 12 pieces and then I cut them off. I couldn't even do five, yo. I was just like, yo, it's my off day. And you mean to tell me I can't do my work? Like what's going on? The spirit told me, yo, just step out the house. Spirit was like, yo, I guarantee if you step out the house, yo, it's gonna be a blessing waiting for you. I don't know why I even heard that. But then I said, okay, I'm gonna step outside the house. Went outside the house and I'm in my car. I said, okay, what now? I'm, I'm out the house now, what's up? And keep in mind, it was still pandemic. So I wore, <laughs> how many of y'all, y'all real, right? I wore the same thing four days in a row. I went at Richard Pryor shirt because I wanted somebody to take a picture of me because you know, we wasn't seeing nobody. So I said, I'm determined to actually walk around. This, uh, my idea was to take a picture with the Rich, Richard Pryor shirt but then Spirit was like, yo, why don't you go to Soundgarden? If you go to Soundgarden, you can get a Richard Pryor vinyl record. And when you take that picture, when you put the camera up, you can take the picture like this and the Richard Pryor record could be right there with your record player. I said, I bet, Soundgarden it is. So I go to Soundgarden, I'm going inside, I'm fumbling through all the vinyl records and I didn't find a Richard Pryor record. Neither did I find a Red Fox record. Goes to, um, you know, goes to, the, to self-checkout and I said, well, at least I got this other commission to do for these vans. Bands, right? I said, let me at least get this old bay bandana so I can wrap it up. And when this girl who was at commissioned me to do the pair, she's in the service and she said she couldn't come back home for Fourth of July, but she would love to actually get a piece. So I said, I'm gonna get this as a wrap. So she's gonna love it because she misses back home. I'm walking out the uh, the exit and I see this guy um, near the exit, but he was on a ladder and I still had a mask on. He was like, oh, I know who you are, you're Brooks cousin. I said, how you know who I am? I still got a mask on, man. He said, the clothes, that's your style. That's your aesthetic. I know it's you. He said, can we go outside and talk? I said, all right, bet. We decided to talk. I'll make a long story short. We had, he said, hey, man, um, so, uh, yeah, man, you do this full time? I said, no, I don't do this full time, dog. I work 12-hour shifts, and I come home. I said, but the reason why I'm here, because I, I, was, I was burnt out. So spirit told me to come, and I ain't tell him that. I was like, but something told me to come, come here. And he said, he was the owner. He was the owner of Soundgarden. I've been in Soundgarden. Soundgarden had has been a, a landmark since 1993. And I've been to Soundgarden many a times, and I got so many magical stories around that as well, like the other incidences, but we're gonna keep it here. What if I didn't decide to go outside the house? I'm gonna just, I'm just hold on to that for a minute. Because that conversation had led me to having three shirts at Soundgarden, right? In 2022, right, he was just like, yo, can we just uh, create, I'm sorry, 2021, he was like, can we create three shirts one was a diamond shirt that HBO Max had contacted me to do rap gifts. The second one was a heart, come des be more. Come des Cassandra's is like the heart, right? I put like the Maryland flag in it. And the last but not least was a Charlie Baltimore one. Charlie Baltimore one was close to my heart because Snoop Pearson, she was the one who told me to start making clothes again. 
we were, we're there and uh, you know, I'm talking about February. I'm sorry, January. He was like, yo, we gotta go to LA, man. I said, man, I, I don't know, man, it's still a pandemic, I'm chilling. He said, nah, Doug, I know you got this commission to do for Flavor Flav. I think that you need to go out there and deliver to him yourself. I said, Doug, I'm, I'm, what you talking about, Doug? I ain't going on no plan. I'm being all scared. I'm glad I decided to go, right? So then we go out there. This is like a big meme, a big viral thing that was going on about uh, ask a person from Baltimore how to say uh, February 22, 2022. And I'm out there, right? We out there chilling and uh, <laughs> I'm out there. And I'm like, all right, man, we here. And he said, we're gonna go to the comedy store. You gonna go to the comedy store, Keo, because I want you to I want you to just really relax. This is your moment to relax. I said, all right, whatever, man. We go to the comedy store, and the guy, and keep in mind, this is the owner at Soundgarden. And if anybody can remember, why did I go to Soundgarden? Because I had a Richard Pye shirt on, right? Goes to Soundgarden, I mean, I go to the comedy store, and I'm up there filming all the legends on the wall. I send it to Donnell, and Donnell was like, no, man, get my picture, man. You up there filming Kevin Hart and all them other, he's like, get my picture. Sits down there with uh, Brian, and we're sitting there, and the guy says, hey guys, before I bring the third act on, I gotta let you guys know that Richard Pryor stood on this stage about 40 years ago on this date, and he, he, he said he had this the whole roof on fire. Not to say that he, caught, he got caught on fire, something like that he, he put in his act. But man, Brian looked at each other, he's like, it wasn't the Richard Pryor shit, it's the reason why he even came inside the store. What are the odds that we came there at LA that day, and that was the same day that he had killed it. Then it was Thursday, I said, all right, bet. I said, yo, like, um, I was, I was, I, I walked, I was in my, my, my um, hotel, uh, I kind of opened up the blinds, and I see this bus that had Bel Air, Bel Air from Peacock, the reboot. And I remember I used to, the only reason why I downloaded Peacock at because I did some pieces for the show, for the main character, Will. He, he had, uh, his best friend had the jacket on that I made, and he also had the Philly Air Force Ones that I made. You know what I'm saying? Universal, they paid me $1,400 for these pegs of sneakers, because they said, look, this is art, they're gonna wear them, and then when they wear them, they're gonna, we're gonna have them on display and auction them off. Uh, so anyway, I'm stalking the Peacock Act so I can post it on my Instagram content, right? I said, let me just, you know what I mean, get this. And then I didn't have to go through the actual clip. All I had to do was actually scroll through the app and the jacket, the P, was right there. I said, whoa, I said, yo, bro, yo, we gotta take a picture in front of the poster or something, dog, because my, my stuff is gonna be displayed on the show today. He was like, all right, but yo, you know we got a meeting in Bel Air today? I said, dog, what you talking about? He said, we got a meeting in Bel Air today. We're gonna meet John from The Doors. I want you to tell John one of your stories. So anyway, I meet John and uh, we talk and I had to go to my third meeting and it was with Renardo Green. Renardo Green, he's the guy who directed We Own the City. He also directed King Richard, who what, stars Will Smith. So I'm out there and I said, right, I gotta leave guys. I'm trying to get an Uber out there and the Ubers was actually passing by and they kept on counseling. Like, why, why do they keep canceling? They said, well, because when the Ubers go up the hill in, in, in Bel Air, if they turn around, they can fall off a cliff. I said, oh, dang. So then Ronaldo FaceTimes me. He's like, look, Doug, man, yo, I'm in, I'm in the hot seat, like how Joel said. <laughs> he in the hot seat. He said, look, man, my, my wife's B-Day is tomorrow, Doug. I'm gonna wait for you to, for this coffee shop for about two hours. Let's just FaceTime, man. I, I gotta talk to you. I gotta, I gotta let you know something. I said, all right, what's that? He said, hey, man, um, he said, uh, Will Smith, I think he's gonna get an Oscar, right, next month. So I'm not, I know you still work at Hopkins. I'm not saying you can come out here. I'm not saying if you want to, but I will come out here just to deliver the shoes to him. But if you want to, it's up to you. But, you know what I mean, it, it, I will come back out here. I said, no, dog, I'm coming back out here. I said, but you know what's crazy? I said, well, he said, what's crazy? I said, just today, I discovered 
that my pieces are actually being displayed on the Bel Air show. Just the other, just yesterday, I said I was there in the Richard, the Richard Park synchronicities. I said, so you mean to tell me you're calling me back because when he paid me two grand for his pieces because he didn't want to leave Baltimore without an art piece. And people kept on emphasizing that, Millie. He was like, yo, you're creating art. You're not making customs, you're making art. But people actually put your stuff up. I didn't, I didn't know that in 2015, Doug. I was only doing that for about a year and just actually creating things. I didn't know that I was making art. But anyway, he was like, yeah, man, um, yeah, so uh, I want you to come back out here. I'm, I'm gonna commission you to make a pair for Will and uh, you know, let, let's get in there. I said, yo, you know, the same day that my stuff is being displayed on Bel Air, you're telling me that I'm about to do something for Will, who also was, you know, the reason for Bel Air. So I'm like, yo, I said, what is this, man? He said, it's alignment. When I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm honoring. I'm honoring my uncle. I'm honoring the stores. I don't just make stuff for cloud. I don't just see something online and I just try to copy it. My uncle, my mother, they, you know, they, they put these things in, in front of me and all I did was just want to honor them because I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. People forget, but paper remembers. But this paper that can be written on your heart, they're written on my heart. What I, I want to say is, is that, because now with the Timberland thing, them, them, them actually giving me and my sister, we was able to collaborate to give kids 30 sneakers, right? <laughs> 30 shoes. Um, to not only just, hey, here's 30 shoes and here's this workshop, but then they get a chance to see at their age that it's possible. Like when the Jasmine said, like, yeah, we didn't see this when we was coming up. You know what I'm saying? We didn't see this. You know what I mean? What, what, what happened with me, this was a rough year for everybody. What happened with me early in this year, I was in like a, <laughs> I was like in a shed, y'all. I was in a shed, right? Shed, yo, like, damn man, like a shed. Still trying to figure it out. Because you know why? I let go of my comfort zone. I'm so transparent, yo. I, I can go on and on about sharing with you. I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to pick the phone. People saying all the big production companies I've been able to work with, but they don't know that that's, uh, that's, a, that's the first thing. Who, who can I rub shoulders with? Who can I say, hey, man, HBO Max or Showtime, these people will hit me up. How much do you think I should charge? Or when it, when it, when it, when it dries. You can say when, it, when, it's, when it's coming. So things are happening for me now. I'm excited for it. This is Miracle Territory. I always say that, too, because I could not have been here July. There's five people that had attacked me, you know what I'm saying? Two guns aimed at me. That's why I got this right here. You get what I'm saying? But I said, hey, I can't, I can't get mad at those kids that did that. They were teenagers, five of them. Four days later, I went to Morgan State University doing a workshop, doing tote bags. I had the bandages all over me. I'm like, I don't want to do this, man. I was like, come on, God, you got me out here looking bummy. Like, what's, what's going on? He said, nah, son, remember you was that kid too. You was that kid that didn't know what you need to do, or what, could, what could you do, but now, I need you to be show, show, come as you are. Come, come right as show them, show them that like yo, I'm your brother. I could be your uncle. I could be your cousin, and I'm out here pouring into you. You know what I'm saying? And and it, I keep seeing the kids. I keep seeing the kids. Baltimore small. You get what I'm saying? But I say all I can say. Art has saved my life, and entrepreneurship, artpreneurship. That's what this is. It's artpreneurship. You get what I'm saying? And it's full circle, we got, I got my, these are my family here. The, the community here is like how Joel said, it's, 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 not, it's like no other. And even with that incident happening to me, I still have a love for Baltimore. It's not the place, it's the people. It's been broken for a very long time, and that's the problem. We are always neglecting the very problem, but not trying to figure out in what ways we can fix the problem. We only try to fix the problem when we try to get, claim ourselves to a city when, when they're popping, when it's a clout chase, and I don't do that. When I create my art, I create it with my heart. The last few letters of the heart is art. So yeah, I wear my art on my sleeve. Yeah, I create from the heart.
I had a film that got accepted to Sundance in 2014 with Snoop, you know what I'm saying? Um, didn't come out, but I'm glad it didn't come out because you know what, what it would have done to my character, I wouldn't been able to meet Brian. We worked for the same company called Creative Development Studios. Those kids wouldn't been able to touch or feel or see me. Jasmine just said, yo, we ain't see that when we was coming up. Still, even though we are prominent, even though we are what we are, it's still a big mass of people that still don't know what's going on in Baltimore. But if you got an individual like Joel coming here, he sees the value in the city, he sees the value in the, in the gyms, and it's raw. What I want y'all to know, what y'all walk away from this is that when you wake up, your mind is easily impressed. When you're trying to fall asleep, your mind is, is, is easily impressed. So when I had uh, woke up, I was doing 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. shifts, and I was looking at this Jeff peanut butter ad from, um, from Ludacris. I was like, yo, this is crazy. I said, yo, I never, as a filmmaker, I was just studying. I was like, yo, Tag, how do they do that? He's eating the peanut butter and his braids is unraveling. Yo, that's dope. To the point where I almost missed my time to clock into the spot. I said, oh, snap, I got to hurry me. Get out of here. So then I'm le I, le I leave to go to the job, work the shift, and then I, 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 two days later, I seen this, uh, I, I, I was like, yo, I, oh, how funny. I ran out of peanut butter. So let me go to Harris Teeter, which is not that far from here. Let me go to Harris Teeter so that way I can get some peanut butter. And then as I'm walking inside the peanut butter aisle, I'm laughing to myself. I said, wow, I said, I guess I'm about, to, I'm about to be on my ludicrous. That's what I said to myself. I guess I'm about to be on my ludicrous. So then I guess home, I didn't go to sleep immediately. I worked a whole eight hour shift, didn't go to sleep. And I was editing this video. Shoe City is a shoe company that had just, you know, um, went out of business. And my friend was like, yo, you know how you are, yo. When you put something out there in the universe, if you don't bite on it, somebody's going to throw it. So I would do it. I said, ah, oh, man, I got, let me stay up and edit this video. So I'm staying up. You know how you look at your phone, you're halfway asleep. I'm editing this video, halfway falling asleep, finally publishing online. I said, okay, well, let me, before I fall asleep, because when you work 12 a.m. to 8 a.m. shifts, it seems like you're the only one that's like, you know, so when you wake up, the world is already done. They, like 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock. So I said, let me, let, let me answer my email. So 1217, I remember the time. People say, yo, you be knowing dates. 1217, I look at my email, and it was from the CFG Arena. CFG Arena was like, hey, Akio, we know we contacted you in January. We know that you want to be able to uh, do rap gifts, I mean, no, arena gifts. They said, but we was wondering if you would be interested in doing a, a hoodie for Ludacris. That was manifestation. So we gotta be careful what we're putting in our minds, whether good or bad. But I wanted to show y'all the power of writing things down, and also having people that, as, as a community, that pushing you. The girl said, yo, I don't see you meeting Spike Lee one day. I see you working with him. So when she said that, I didn't believe it. But guess what? The people around me believed it. You also have to get out your comfort zone. My comfort zone was being in my house, staring at the work that I needed to do. And sometimes I was like, yo, I, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. All right, let me step out the house. Stepped out the house, then walked straight to a blessing. Art brings people together. You get what I'm saying? So what we, it, 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 what we do that's inside of us brings people together, like us being our purpose. I didn't ever know that I would be charging 1800 for a shoe, two grand for a shoe. You know what I'm saying? It's not a shoe, though. You know what it is? It's art. And I didn't know that, Millie. Now I know it. You know what I'm saying? It's adding the value and actually teaching the kids that, like, yo, you can do it too, right? But let me tell you how God worked. When I was the Joker on Saturday, I was already in conversation by Baltimore School of the Arts for me to teach, I mean, for me to teach there of what I've been doing, right, as far as art. But when I, I, I was, I didn't want, if anybody seen the Joker stuff, I didn't want to be the Joker. Yeah, I was, I, I, went, I put this mic up on, stepped outside, I'm like, I don't want to do this right here. This is the first time I ever did anything on Halloween. But my uncle would say, tell you, like I, in my art exhibit that I had that you showed up, and he would tell you like, yo, Keo is an actor. 
So how I came full circle was, I stepped into the sec, I went to Brian's party first, won his contest, I was in character all night. Second party I went to, I won a contest there, but I didn't know who was gonna be at the party. The person that was at the party was at the BSA, Baltimore School of the Arts. They said, hey, Keo, we were just talking about you on Friday. And we wanted you to actually do artwork for the seminar, but now we want you to do, now we want you to do a master class in theater. A master class in theater. Because you know what, it's kids in Baltimore School of the Arts that are from the East, West, whatever part of Baltimore, and they come to this environment all charged up and ready to go. But when they go back home, it's like the men in black button. Zip, no inspiration, no nothing, everything is being wiped away. But Keo, we can use you, because you got all these stories, and we can actually instill in them. In, in theater, y'all? So what I'm gonna say is that, in that, just follow your heart. You get what I'm saying? Because that can be something that, it's, it, that's the talent that I, I slept on. By me chasing and following my heart, now, I'm about to do a master class with Baltimore School of the Arts. Can I tell you that I went to the Baltimore School of the Arts in 97, and I got denied because I did the, I did the uh, Raising the Sun, and I auditioned for it, and they declined me because the whole staff was white. And I knew I did my best, but they said, your monologue was short, buddy. I'm sorry, but you can shadow, though. I shadowed, I was in the auditorium. I seen this guy looking straight at me doing the ballerina thing. The way he was doing it, he was like, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? And I was like, dang, Doug. Like, none of these people look like me. I said, none of these people look like me. And then I said, the same thing I got to die for, they, they're about to do a master class. So it might not happen where you want it, but it would happen eventually. You get what I'm saying? So anyway, I said, thank you for your time. I, I tried to close with that, but I had to say that. You know what I'm saying? And another thing, man. <laughs> thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Mobtown Brewing. Thank you, Moonlighters. Thank you, Baltimore. Everyone, please have a good night.